This weekend we are moving from the events of Tuesday during the week to the Last Supper, which took place on Thursday evening. So what happened to Wednesday, you ask? Well, there's nothing in the biblical record about what happened on Wednesday. But I imagine after all that happened on Tuesday, that probably Wednesday, Jesus withdrew to a solitary place for reflection and meditation because he knew what was ahead of him, Gethsemane and Calvary. So now it is Thursday of the week. And if, and if it was Thursday and you knew that you just had one day to live, that you were going to die on Friday, the next day, what would you want to do? Would you want to go somewhere that you had never been before? Would you like to see something you'd never seen? Would you like to meet someone you had never before met in life? Well, when Jesus realized that his time on earth was quickly coming to an end, he chose to have a quiet supper with his disciples. He preferred to go deep with these men into whose lives he had poured his own for a period of some three years. And that night, he wanted to leave them with a very special gift. Matthew was there. He is an eyewitness. And here's what he writes in Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, it was on this sacred night that Jesus instituted what we have come to refer to as communion. Communion is also called the Lord's Supper because Jesus decreed it, and He is the one who is honored. He is the one who is worshipped by it. Communion and baptism are called sacraments, the two special occasions to experience God's grace established by Jesus on earth. And here at Crossroads, we have a very high view of the sacraments, but not every church does. We have baptisms virtually every weekend here, 353 last year alone. And we offer communion every weekend here because it was the practice of the New Testament church. As Dr. Luke records in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, the disciples the believers came together to break bread. And then it says, Paul spoke to the people. But even though the Apostle Paul was the preacher, the central focus of worship was the Lord's Supper. And since communion is such an important part of our assemblies, it's really important, friends, that we be fully aware of its significance. It is not a sterile ritual. It is not a matter of routine. It is entered into thoughtfully, and when it is, 
A time of communion is life-giving. Our spiritual health is renewed by this weekly time of special closeness to the Lord. Now, we have just read Matthew's account of this historic event that took place in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed. But is there a place we can go in Scripture to further explain the deeper meaning of the Lord's Supper? Indeed there is, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now my sermon in a single imperative sentence this weekend is two words. Here it is. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Be conscious of Jesus. How, you ask? Well, I think by understanding that the Lord's Supper is a time of reflection. In verses 24 and 25 of the passage we just read, Jesus said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this in remembrance of of me. wonder if you've noticed how memories tend to fade with the passing of time. I'll tell you, when our kids were preschoolers, we loved those moments when they would come out with some cute line. It became an immediate special memory that we thought we would never forget. But we have. Now we have to get out their baby books. We have to pull out the pictures to be reminded of what they said or what they did. It's just true. That the further you get from an event, the less vividly you recall it. Last weekend, Kayleen and I made our triannual trip to Joplin to visit our 92 and 94-year-old mothers, and they're doing quite well. But one area of challenge for both of them is memory. My wife's mother could not tell you what she had for breakfast, but she doesn't try to bluff. She just says, I don't remember. <laughs> so we have to work around it. And my mother, on the other hand, will recall one story after another. Folks, I heard stuff this past week that I have never heard before. And if half of it is true, I and most of my family should probably be in jail tonight. <laughs> I'm telling you. Mother is, <laughs> she is the queen <laughs> of historical revisionism. 
But, but it's true, isn't it, that we've all been frustrated. We've all been embarrassed at one time or another by memory lapses. An elderly couple had been experiencing memory loss, so they decided that they would take a class, one of those classes where you're taught to remember things by association. Well, a few days after the class, the old gentleman was outside talking to his neighbor about how much that class had helped him. So the neighbor asked him, well, what's the name of your instructor? Uh, let's see, the old man pondered. He said, you know that flower, the one that smells really nice and has those prickly thorns, what's that flower's name? A rose, prompted the neighbor. Yes, that's it, replied the old man. Then he turned toward the house and shouted, Hey, Rose, what was the name of that instructor? <laughs> well, people have fading memories, it's true. But computers don't. You can, you can store a detailed document in a computer, and five years later you can pull it up, and it's exactly the way it was originally written. But we humans aren't hardwired by our Creator to remember everything in vivid detail. And you know, it's probably a good thing. Because if you had a vivid memory of a bad accident, it might keep you from ever wanting to ride in a car again. Or if you had a vivid memory of a failure in business or marriage, it might keep you from ever wanting to try again. If our memories of a deceased loved one didn't fade some with the passing of time, our, our grief, our daily grief, would probably be unbearable. A fading memory has an upside as well as a downside. Well, our Creator knows about our tendency to forget. And that's why the Passover was decreed under the Old Testament as an annual celebration. And it's why Jesus established a New Testament memorial so that we'd remember His death in our place for our sins every week. When we assembled, Jesus took the unleavened bread from the Passover celebration and He gave it new significance. He said, when you eat of this bread, remember. Remember my body was broken for you. Now the Bible prophesied that not a bone in Jesus' body would be broken. He was a perfect lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world. So His bones were not broken, but His skin was broken. His head lacerated by thorns, his face bloodied by punches and the tearing out of his beard, his shoulders punctured by the splinters of the rough cross, his back shredded by the Roman scourge, his knees and elbows skinned by falling under the weight of the cross, his hands and feet pierced with nails, his side slashed by a spear when you eat the bread. You remember that His sinless body was broken for you. And then Jesus took the cup and He said, When you drink of this cup, remember. Remember my blood was shed for you. Now in this church, we do not teach the doctrine of transubstantiation. That is that the emblems of communion are literally transformed into the literal body and blood of Jesus. You, you don't find this practiced by the early church in the book of Acts. It was introduced 
as a doctrine by the church in Rome a thousand years later in the 11th century, along with a few other non-biblical doctrines. Jesus clearly said that communion is symbolic. He said it is a remembrance. Now, granted, He did say, this is my body. He did say, this is my blood. But He also said, I am the door. He also said, I am the vine. You see, there's a principle of Bible interpretation that is simply stated, literal, if possible, figurative, if obvious. So when Jesus said, this is my body, when He held up the bread, obviously speaking figuratively, not literally. And Jesus added, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, the old covenant required that a person live a perfect life to be saved, but the new covenant is that we are saved by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And this is no small thing. Remember, it required the blood of Jesus that was shed from every wound as an atoning sacrifice for sins. July the 20th, 2014, will mark the 46th anniversary of two human beings making history by walking on the surface of the moon. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong had been on the lunar surface for only a few minutes when Aldrin, who was an elder in his church, took out the communion emblems and asked Houston for a few moments of silence. And there on the surface of the moon, 250,000 miles from earth, he read from the Gospel of John and he experienced communion. Here's his account in his own words from an interview published in Guidepost magazine just a few months later. He said, during the radio blackout, I opened the little packages which contained the bread and juice. I poured the juice into the chalice my church had given me. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine slowly curled and gracefully came up the side of the cup. Then I read the scripture. I had intended to transmit my communion passage back to earth, but at the last minute, NASA requested that I not do this. NASA at that time was embroiled in a legal battle with Madeline Murray O'Hare over the Apollo crew having read from the Genesis account of creation while orbiting the moon the previous Christmas. I reluctantly agreed. Then I ate the bread and drank from the cup. It exhilarated me to think the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the very first food eaten there were the communion emblems. And right now I want to publicly recognize and thank those behind the scenes folks in our church family who so faithfully prepare and serve the communion emblems every day week. The Lord's Supper is it's the most ingenious memorial ever established. And God's wisdom is all over it. Teachers know that the more senses you involve in the learning process, the more likely it is that students will remember. Well, in the Lord's Supper, all five senses are involved. You see it. You touch it. You smell it. 
you taste it, and you even hear it as it is ingested. So let me give you some practical suggestions to help you concentrate and reflect during communion. First of all, prepare yourself for worship. Don't stay up too late on Saturday night and then get up at the last possible minute rushing around on Sunday morning. Shouldn't be a problem for this crowd. <laughs> but when you come to church, you want to be energized. You understand? You want to be energized, not exhausted. You want to be rested, not wasted. So get around early. Listen to Christian music. Listen to Bible reading to prepare your heart. Maybe read something inspirational to prepare your mind. I'm telling you, sometimes the reason that people don't get anything out of church is because they don't put anything into it. And they're not prepared for worship. Secondly, maybe write out a prayer. If you have trouble concentrating during communion, maybe just take your pen and paper in hand and write where you sit. Just record your thoughts to keep them focused. Express your joy. Express your thankfulness to God as well as your burdens and petitions. Or maybe you want to just open your Bible and read Scripture. If you open your Bible toward the end of each one of the four Gospels, that's the first four books in the New Testament, they'll tell you about the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion and the resurrection. So maybe reading Scripture or maybe, maybe feeling, feeling your hands, thinking about the nails, or touch your forehead and think about the crown of thorns. Place your hand in your side and think about his sacrificial death on the cross for you. Maybe, maybe you can reflect on scenes, meditate on the word pictures, or, or the actual artist depictions of Jesus' sacrifice for you. As a boy, I had a pictorial Bible, and I can remember turning to some of those images in my pictorial Bible during communion to keep my mind focused during communion. The Lord's Supper is a time of reflection. And we don't reflect enough. We live too much in the moment or anticipating what's over the rise or around the bend in life. We need to take time to reflect. The Lord's Supper is also a time of repentance. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 here, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. Now here at Crossroads, our pastors engage in a very thorough process of goal setting and accountability. All of us submit to an annual evaluation. And a performance evaluation is a positive tool to help us as pastors do our ministry with God-honoring excellence. And each of our elders is paired up with a pastor for a monthly accountability meeting. It's very friendly and it's very informal, yet it represents a commitment to keep us all accountable to each other morally and doctrinally and vocationally. It's a good thing. Well, the Lord's table is like the place of ultimate accountability to God. Communion is a time of evaluation. It's a time of introspection. It's a time of confession. It's a, it's a time of repentance and rededication. And sometimes we come around the Lord's table and we ought to celebrate. I didn't lose my temper in the workplace once this week. 
I was not sarcastic with my husband once this week. I didn't lie to my parents this week. I didn't use profanity this week. I didn't access pornography this week. Thank you, Lord, for empowering me to grow spiritually. Thank you for helping Christ be formed in me. I see progress. I see growth. I'm encouraged. But some weeks, some weeks we probably have to confess, not to a human priest, but to our one and only high priest and intercessor, our advocate with the Father, Jesus. And so we might pray, Lord, I, I strayed in my thought life. I lost my temper with another driver. I kept incorrect change from a $50 bill that was not mine to keep. It was a moment of weakness. I'm so sorry for that. I assassinated someone's character because I was jealous. I abused drugs. I bullied a classmate. And I'm sorry. Thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness you promised. Now, to take communion in a worthy manner does not mean that you have to be sinless. It means we examine ourselves. We humbly acknowledge our sin. We repent. We give thanks for God's grace through Jesus. And listen, if you have to be perfect to be worthy, then nobody's going to be able to partake. Just look at those who are around the table with Jesus on the night of the Last Supper. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Thomas doubted him. The rest abandoned him and fled into the night, leaving him alone. And yet Jesus shared communion with them in spite of their failures, in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their sin. However, Scripture does warn that to take communion thoughtlessly can be to invite the judgment of God. It's in the text, so i got to deal with it. Now, here are three reasons, good reasons, not to enter into communion. Number one, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. Now, believing in Jesus and pledging your allegiance to Jesus are two different things. And if you haven't made a commitment of your heart, of your life to Jesus as Lord, you should just... Let the emblems pass by, and you don't need to feel self-conscious about it at all. You're not there yet. That's okay. You're putting yourself in a place where you can be persuaded. That's a good thing. Parents need to explain to their children that you do not participate in communion until you've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, and been baptized into Him. So parents can use it as a teachable moment to impress on their children the reality of the sacred. Listen, do you know how many children never observe, they never hear about the sacred dimension of life? So, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, it's good not to participate. Secondly, if you are planning to sin then you should not participate in communion. If you know that you're going to intentionally sin in the coming week, it's best to let the communion emblems pass. If you're plotting revenge or you know that you've padded the expense report that you're going to turn in on Monday morning, or if you're living with someone to whom you are not married, it would be a, it would be a dangerous decision for you to take communion unless... 
unless you are truly repenting in that moment. Thirdly, if there's someone you have not forgiven, if there's someone against whom you hold a grudge, someone to whom you are refusing to speak, either use communion to commit to the Lord that you're going to extend forgiveness or else don't participate in communion. Because, you see, if you're asking God to forgive you, then you've got to be generous with your forgiveness. Now, the reason why some of us take communion when we shouldn't is because we're afraid of what others might think if we don't. But listen, God is the only one who matters in that moment. 1 Corinthians 11, 29, and 30. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. When we neglect or we disregard the Lord's Supper, we become spiritually weak and could even spiritually die. But Jesus said in John 6, 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is his desire, and this is his passion for us all. One final thing. The Lord's Supper should also be a time of remission. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in the act of communion... We are making a declaration. We are extending a witness about the Lord's death. The cross is the one event in time and space above all others that makes the love of God real and believable. And once a person is truly gripped by the reality of God's love and grace demonstrated on Calvary, once it becomes real to them, it is life-transforming. But the suffering and death of Jesus is so trivialized, so routinely shunned in our generation. It's even profane and blasphemed by some. And there's nothing more demonic. There's nothing more demonic than to ridicule to actively oppose or to passively shun the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And communion is a time when we're renewed in our mission to be living sacrifices, to be witnesses for Jesus to the world. I think it's so profound and significant that the past, the present, and the future all come together in our weekly time of communion. The past is addressed by reflection as we remember Christ's suffering and death. The present is addressed by repentance as we rededicate our lives to Him who died for us. And the future is addressed by remission as we recommit to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. I wonder if you've seen this moving painting of the Vietnam War Memorial. What appears to be a distraught father stands 
somberly touching the name of his deceased son. But the unusual feature of the picture is that the reflection in the granite wall is not that of the living father, but the fallen son, the soldier, who reaches out from the other side and touches his father's hand. Something deeply personal and profound like this happens during communion. It's an opportunity for us to reach out and touch Jesus in a mysterious and yet a very real way. And I want you to have that opportunity right now as we come to our time of communion. If our servers would go, please, and prepare to distribute the emblems. And I'm going to walk down here and call your attention to the table that is down front this weekend. You'll notice it's a pretty humble table. Sometimes you see communion tables and they're very ornate. They're jewel bedecked and with scallop woodwork and I remember the communion table at the front of our church when I grew up as a boy it was inscribed with the words in remembrance of me it was a beautiful piece of woodwork but the table at the last supper the Lord's table probably looked more like this the burlap type material the bread the fruit of the vine And after supper, Jesus took the bread and he, he broke it in his hands. And he explained the purpose of the bread. And he directed his disciples to eat it. And when they did, to be reminded of his suffering and his death. He encouraged them to take the bread and when they took the bread to remember him. And then he also took the cup and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. And it's always the cup never talks about the contents of the cup, never talks about wine or grape juice or what was in the cup. It's always referred to as the cup. And so in just a moment after I pray, our servers are going to distribute the emblems of the Lord's Supper to you. We would ask you to take the bread, take the cup, and to hold it where you are for a time of meditation. And then I will come up and we will partake all together. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, how, how good it has been tonight to just dwell on the events that took place in that upper room to focus on communion 
Um, it is a service that is misunderstood by some. It is disregarded, de-emphasized by others, even, even those who wear the name of Jesus. But Lord, um, we believe it. It needs to be offered in worship. And let every person examine himself, herself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So in these moments, Lord, we want to not just focus our minds, but rivet our minds on the things that happened in that upper room that night and the truths that accompanied the institution of the Lord's Supper that night that are given to us in Paul's words to the church in Corinth. We pray these words would live in us as the church in Evansville and Newburgh. We thank you that from that night to this night, we reach across time. And we are there. We are there in the presence of Jesus, who is our host and our Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.